Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the PhD cast by the Cebus GPA. I'm Micah, and today I'm joined by Megan, Ahmad, Nate. And if you've noticed an increase in our audio quality, we have our special guest to thank, Dr. Deepak Vashish. Dr. V is the director of Cebus and a professor of biomedical engineering here at RPI. Dr. V, we are excited to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about your research? Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here and talking with all of you. Um, um, I really have enjoyed what you're doing with this, so so looking forward to it, and, and thank you for this great initiative. Um, about about my research, so, so I work on the extracellular matrix uh, with a focus on bone, um, and, and if you remember the movie Matrix, I basically say Matrix is everywhere, that's why we work on Matrix. <laughs> And, and so, so what do we do? We look at various aspects of matrix. So we look at post-translational modifications uh, of proteins in, in bone matrix and see what implications they have, whether it's for uh, some disease such as clearly osteoporosis, diabetes, and, and more increasingly looking even in, in other conditions such as Alzheimer's. And, 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 and that brings it a very interesting point that to, to, I live in a bone-centric universe, so, so bone is center of everything. So when you look at someone, most of what they are is essentially bone. Mm-hmm. And, and it is surprising that if evolution just designed bone as a means of protecting mm-hmm. the body. It has to be more than that. And we are increasingly getting involved in that. So are others that bone is a part of the endocrine system. It affects uh, all the other systems, I think, and all the other systems affect it. So there are arrows all over the place. So we are sort of busy drawing arrows, and, and <laughs> matrix seems to be the way where things get connected. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's you know, long and short of it. So we all, once we know about the matrix, we also do some translational work, for example, mm-hmm. looking at biomarkers, different way to predict things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I, I use the analogy that you know, bone is one of those large columns in an HPLC system <laughs> where everything which goes on into your body is stored into that column. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it is a history of your physiology in a way. So we also mm-hmm. want to discover that, mm-hmm. that physiology and history and maybe predict disease from it. And last but not the least, once you know about the matrix, you want to make it yourself. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit going towards the tissue engineering or regenerative medical aspect of it, mm-hmm. that how do you regenerate and and it's not always about mimicking and for those of you who are interested in tissue engineering I always want to give up my pet pee here that you know it's not always <laughs> good to mimic nature but you want to make it better mm-hmm. in a way so we all take pills because we want to get better quickly mm-hmm. and and we should be able to tissue engineer bone where that bone be- grows faster than it would grow naturally so mm-hmm. you can be out off a hospital mm-hmm. so i think that's that's it yeah awesome thank you all right then i'm gonna switch gears really quick and kind of talk about what's going to be the bulk of the podcast which is getting to know a little bit more about dr v's past and what it was like in grad school for him so i don't know if you want to you know talk about your grad school experience in general where you did it um what it was like um, just kind of a brief overview, and then we can try to find some fun stories. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so the interesting part is that so, so my grad school was split into two. Obviously, I did my master's in a different place mm-hmm. and PhD in that place, and, and, and a lot of people pay a lot of attention to figure out where they want to do PhD. So I have an interesting story. I was doing my 
my masters here in the US in in West Virginia mm-hmm. and uh, I had to go to India where I originally come from for for uh, going and visiting my parents mm-hmm. and my travel agent gave me a, a break in London and I've never mm. been to London and uh, being you know a nerd and a bonehead I was I said <laughs> if I'm going to go to London what I'm going to do there. Yeah. And then I looked at my references and there was this English professor who had published like literally who showed up 80% of my references. <laughs> so I said, oh, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to see Bill. Yeah. Bill Bonfield, like all those things. So I just sort of, in those days, the email was not that common. Mm-hmm. So I, I called his office and yeah. had this really lovely British accent and said, what do you want to meet a Professor Bonfield for? I said, well, I want to see with him and maybe ask him if, you know, we could work together. <laughs> wow. So, so uh, it turned out, uh, long story short, that he happened to be available on that day. Wow. And I arrived uh, in the morning at Heathrow and I dr- took the train. Then we had lunch together and had a really great conversation and then I ended up working for him. Wow. Wow. And I took my flight to India in the evening and that was my day in London. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never seen Big Ben. You know, I did go to Leicester Square and a few other places just like because I had the time to Mm -hmm. kill between my flight and after my lunch meetings. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's how I ended up choosing the the place where I did my PhD mm-hmm. and whom I did my PhD with. So not much of research around it and looking <laughs> around in different places. Sure. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So not at all how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no GREs, no, uh, no uh, none of that stuff. Well, yeah, emails. <laughs> yeah, so, so I had done I had done my GRE, I had done that scale because I was doing my master's. I had done my coursework, sure. done my GRE. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and and in the you know in UK there was no GREs required. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and no coursework either. And if you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you're easier. trying to advertise for UK PhD programs right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's actually I'm I'm glad you bring that up. So so it's been an interesting difference. So so the system works in the UK is that they consider a PhD not to be just another degree where coursework is not important. Mm-hmm. So so your approach to research is important. So one of the big difference was, and that was the big surprise for me, that after I joined the lab, they said, oh, you need to propose your PhD. And I said, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. He says, you come up with your own PhD, what you want to work in. And yeah. obviously I knew what I came there to work on and you have about four weeks to propose your project. Wow. wow. So, so you, and that was the first exam. So you propose a project which is sort of worth doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they, they look at it and they say, okay, and then you get the rest of the year and then you have equivalent of a qualifier, right. mm-hmm. which they still go through and you need to sort of defend uh, the fundamental basis. So if you want to work in A, all the fundamental knowledge required for that area A, mm-hmm. they will test you at random on it. Okay. And, and you really self-educate. So I went and worked with, uh, so I needed to learn about ceramics. Instead of taking a course in ceramic, I just went to this professor who was very well known in ceramics. And I read chapters and books, and we used to have an hour or two one-to-one discussion every week. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I went through the book which he wrote. So I went through and we had a real open discussion on it. And he was a very big guy in ceramics. So you mm-hmm. go and wherever it takes you. And then I went to University College London for somebody mm-hmm. else who was a biologist. And I did the same with them. So it's really, 
you pick up a subject, learn it yourself as you go along. So it was, wow. Wow. was a different model, but uh, very useful though. But yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing which I did not, was not very successful, I used this excuse. So this is another interesting story. So, so since this was in London, right? So yes. uh, London has uh, the British Library, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where there are original manuscript by Galileo and others <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. So I came up with this. So Galileo did some work on bones, mainly like joint motions and stuff. So I said, oh, it will be interesting to get the hands on those manuscript, yeah. right? So I go to the British Library. I said, well, I want to fill up a form. I work on bone. And, and as a student of University of London, I can get access to the British Library, and, and I need to read some original manuscripts, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, they, they said, you fill up the form and we'll consider it. I never got my hands on Aww. it, but, uh, but they said, you know, you have to come on it. But, but I got copies and stuff like that to look at it okay. and stuff. So, but you can get your own chamber. At, wow. at the British Library, and then you get your manuscript, which you are not allowed to take out, but you have your own room to sit and read that, and you spend all your day doing that. Wow. Uh, wow. So there are a lot of people who do that, and as students, you get access. That's, That's awesome. In, in a way, do you think just being a student, a lot of these, uh, like talking to other professors in your field, or just like seeking out professors, these are things that are typically afforded for students. And just, I feel like there's a, a huge disconnect on like what is really, what can a student do? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it's I, amplified at the PhD level. I, I think that's a very relevant question, and I, I don't know the answer to that. And, and, and this would also may come as a surprise between the British society mm -hmm. and what our stereotypic vision of British society is that they're very conservative, uptight, and, and nosy. But <laughs> it, it, it turns out that you know, in when I studied in, in, in London, the, the distinction and the separation between the faculty and graduate students is very minimal. Mm -hmm. So so we used to call all the faculty by first name basis, mm -hmm. which would be different, you know, you'd not expect that. Um, and then we also used to very regularly go out with them as friends mm. to eat and to the bar and we had, used to play tennis and other things together. Mm -hmm. So they really started welcoming you as a part of their society and the social network. Mm -hmm. The fact that when you become a PhD student because you know, you're essentially entering that profession, so you're like an intern yeah. right. mm -hmm. to become where they are. Mm -hmm. and, and they really treat it in a very mature manner at least the pl place where I did my PhD, that I, I could say that I was friends with most, actually with almost every faculty in the department. I still know them very well, mm -hmm. know their families and, and everyone. So, wow. which I didn't mm -hmm. expect when I went to England. Yeah. But wow. really, they were extremely nice to me, big part of the family. And I would say they're still part of the family. When, when I meet with them, it's like I'm meeting one of my old relatives. Mm -hmm. wow. So that was a very pleasant, uh, surprise yeah so i didn't expect that but and yeah. do you think there is a chance i think to restructure american programs to not necessarily I, fit though it's a different society it's a different culture but i feel at the phd level that's uh it really depends at the school the pi the program where you can get a similar connection to that yeah what i do mean you think would be like a way to kind of go about that so i i would you know say one thing i i don't think that the american society is that restrictive either. So yeah. I think it's a lot depends upon an individual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's both as a student, like you asked this question, what a student can do. 
and, and what a faculty can do. So I, I don't think that most faculty here, when they see that kind of initiative from a student, they will stop it. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a question of how you want it yourself. So, I mean, we, our society is, is more on a, like, you get multiple options to choose from. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not like one thing also. So, so you can choose what you want. And mm -hmm. I think that's the great thing about the American education system. It's, you know, again, I'm just comparing and it's not that it is the case in Britain and not here. Mm -hmm. right. Here it very much depends upon what you would like to have and all the options that are available to you. I see. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is self-initiative, making yourself very clear as to what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And you can get it because I have other colleagues here who probably have a very similar experience here in a lab as well. Yeah. So it's not difficult to UK, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, it very, as you said, varies from lab to lab. And, and I think the students create that culture based on the directive or the feedback they get from, from their advisors, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. And I think to kind of circle back, it's just, it goes back to like, to kind of summarize it as well. Like, students have a lot more power than they think they do in exactly. terms of shaping their relationships and their PhD experience. Yeah, so don't be shy to use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, so we, we had a, a two episodes a while ago um, that was really fun. It was basically about international student experiences. And it was just, we, we spent a while talking about the differences in culture and just kind of what was shocking moving from one place to the other. And obviously you've done a lot of moving um, to different countries, but I, I kind of wanted to, see what was really interesting to you that from doing your PhD in England and then coming and becoming like an advisor to PhD students here in America, what was really shocking about kind of that transition and, you know, what were, what was unexpected, I guess, coming from doing your PhD in a very different setup and program. So, so on the lighter note, uh, the first, <laughs> first surprise I got to when I started my postdoc that mm -hmm. was at Henry Ford Hospital in, in, in Detroit. Right. And I was made in charge of uh, Journal Club. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I, I oh, sent gosh. out this email that the Journal Club will meet fortnightly. Okay. And, and my <laughs> postdoc mentor comes out and tells me, next time you send me an email, I have to look out when is the full moon <laughs> to know <laughs> when the Journal Club will meet. <laughs> So, 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 okay. so I, I, I picked a certain terminologies, yeah. uh, which, which, you know, which was funny. And the other fun one is that, you know, there are no mailboxes in England. Oh. Uh, it, they call them pigeonholes. Oh, right. <laughs> so when I came in and I said, I was looking for for that, so there are a lot of interesting anecdotes of <laughs> of those terms. But so so first thing was, despite everything else, is communication was actually mm -hmm. a, a, you know interesting. I would say sure. it was not a challenge, but it was interesting yeah. and, <laughs> and a source of amusement, as you would call it, yes, <laughs> for my colleagues and other PhDs to other postdocs, right? Um, so so when I started my own lab, I think. Uh, the, the the differences I, I found were that I always wanted to engage my student in research early on. So mm -hmm. I think there was this, you know, disconnect almost, right? So so the students come to do a PhD, right? So that's mm -hmm. their goal. And, and yes. you've done your coursework as an undergrad and you've had enough courses, right? So mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is more courses, right? Mm -hmm. So once the students come in, 
they want to do research. So that's one goal in front of them. But then they really told, hey, you need to do this coursework. So you still need to prove yourself that you can do your coursework, right? Mm -hmm. So you have been thrown this course load in front of you. Yes. And, and then there is the financial aspect. If you are a teaching assistant, right. then this is the other assistantship duty. So I thought mm -hmm. that the students are like pulled in three different directions, mm -hmm. right? And to mm -hmm. see what I could do, I do research, I can do coursework and or I could, you know, sort of, um, you know, come in and, 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 you know, try to sort of uh, do it. But whereas, so I, I feel that there was this confusion. Mm -hmm. Whereas I remember after my first week, I just like in when I was a grad student, I went and sat on my desk and figured out what am I going to do today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So like you think about it and there is a feeling of openness, mm -hmm. right? That I mm -hmm. could do anything that way, that I have this whole lab available to me. Yeah. And nobody's telling me what experiments to do. <laughs> And I, what are the fun things I could do with, so I could play with that. So I think like, oh, that machine, I don't know. So I'm yeah. going to go and, you know, learn that one, right? Right. So, so, so I would love that sense of uh, curiosity mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. and, and, and freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I, I wish I can, you know, make my students think that way, that I'm not really telling them to go and do an experiment, bring me the result, and we'll discuss it, and we go that way. Mm -hmm. I just want them to come up with, hey, I want to do this, and I did this for curiosity, and this is what I got. Let's right. see what it means, right? right. So <laughs> some of that fun, how, and I think you have to all think that, so I think you think of your PhD in research that way. Yeah. Right. Uh, as much as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, that, hey, that's, you know, fun. Yes. And that may takes back to your childhood days or when you used to <laughs> tinker, play with. But now you have all these nice and expensive toys to play with, right? Yeah. <laughs> and learn and say, oh, what's that? You know. That's so like a replay on childhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a really, like, fun and interactive way of, like, doing a PhD. But... You know, as, as first years, we often come in with a full course load. We come in as a TA quite often. And then we're also maybe given a project that our PI wants us to do at the same time. How, I guess, how do you see, you know, how do we integrate sort of that curiosity and that freedom into a PhD program right. when we have, like you said, we're being pulled in three different directions? Sure. So, so I, I, I think that's a very good question. And I think the answer varies from person to person and, mm -hmm. and from, frankly speaking, labs to labs. Right. And 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 what should end up happening is that at some point of time, uh, you you basically and I think it it varies from person to person that you decide that there is an individual element you want to bring in and and have that as an open conversation with your advisor that I am really curious and at the same time very excited to be in this environment that where you came in and you know I've been thinking of trying some things out. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of try them out and, 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 you know, run it by with a discussion to see this is what you want to do and how you want to do that part. And I think that's one way is an open conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is that, you know, depending upon the experiment you're doing and within the boundaries of safety, right? Um, when you work with biological materials and chemicals, just have to be careful, right? <laughs> um, uh, but then you, you, you know, look at the thing and you design an experiment you want to do and go and, and propose it to your advisor. Sometimes if it's a, it's a harmless experiment, you would work with your senior students and other students and you can plan it and see what comes up there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you have to keep that sense of curiosity. And again, 
I, I really like that part, so I tell my PhD student, and depending upon how much you want to push it, between 50 to 80% of PhD is going to be yours. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously they still, I mean, I, my advisor worked on bone. I went there to work on bone. So we had an agreement. Obviously I'm going to work on bone, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't like come up with something completely different. So there <laughs> was still that limitation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of, you know, to be fair, one of the other guys, and you would laugh if this is when tissue engineering didn't exist. Right. And, 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 you know, didn't exist or it was actually, it was, it was called a different name. Mm. It was called biodegradable polymers oh, because wow. essentially the whole idea is to culture cells on polymers and the, the scaffold will dissolve over time and the cells will form their matrix. Mm-hmm. And this was very common, but the area, research area was called biodegradable polymers. Yeah. Mm. And so he told me, he says, you know, tissue engineering is coming up as big and strong field and cart i work in cartilage and cartilage tissue engineering is really going to be big so do you want to consider switching over and doing that and i said i said i'm interested in 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 bone and cartilage eventually becomes bone anyway (laughs) 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 so i'm going to work on bone right so (laughs) that was interesting and i said you know tissue engineering exciting field but you know biodegradable materials is different. When you say it the other way, it looks interesting. But I just, you know, I, you know, I was doggedly wanting to work with this individual. I said, (laughs) I came here to work with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that I came here to work on bone and those were non-negotiable points for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of following up with that, I'm curious to know, like, what was, and this could be kind of a hot topic question, but what was your relationship with your advisor like since you knew you wanted to work with him and that was already set um, and you knew kind of the topic you were going to do? Was there any like surprises working with him or, you know, was it exactly what you had hoped for since you knew about him before starting? Yeah. So, so the accurate answer is that I, it was actually what I had hoped for. That's good. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, 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 but the, he was not a typical advisor per okay. se, because uh, he, uh, to put you in pretext, so this was um, at University of London, mm-hmm. and those days they had these things called IRCs, which are interdisciplinary research centers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they were a center of national excellence, where they would put 90% of the funding in that area mm-hmm. into that one center. So okay. the rest of the country has to fight for the remaining 10% and one individual will have 90% of the funding. Wow. wow. So, so this was IRC in biomedical materials mm-hmm. and he was the director of it. So he oh, had wow. 90% of the funding. So there's no shortage of money right. in any That's sense. Nice. Uh, it was, I remember in those days it was 10, 10 million pounds with two wow. millions a year, which is, you know, $15 million over five years, right? So yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of funding. And, and in UK, also you have to realize that the stipend doesn't come from the grants. This right. was all money to spend for lab and other things, right? So the yeah. si- salary was out of different part, right? So so ha- there was a lot of money, right? Which means he was also very busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he was, it was, I, I recollected that I was really lucky that I had lunch with him that day I ended <laughs> up being, because, <laughs> he was very rarely in the country oh. and he was probably once a month yeah in the lab and did, did other things so oh. so so i expected that i won't see that much of him during you know regular months mm-hmm. and uh, and the b part was that whenever he was around it was good to get 
and we used to call it an audience with him so that yeah. was it <laughs> so sometimes i would walk with him to the train station as he was going back so i yeah. walked back with him uh, i was not so fortunate but uh, he when he used to fly from london to paris he used to t- the postdocs used to fly with him <laughs> so that they could time. just sit with him during the flight and then they'll have their day off and they'll come back wow. with him in the evening wow. so 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 to have that oh kind of advisor gosh. was very exciting because literally everybody knew him. Yeah. All over the Europe so I couldn't I didn't need to tell anyone who you know beyond whom I'm working for. Yeah. Uh but the flip side was that you know uh things were there but, but one thing about him that the interaction with him were very focused. Mm. Mm. Uh he was very sharp and quick to the point we could right. discuss a paper very quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um things like that. Mm-hmm. I see. Ah, huh, interesting. Well, I guess it's good that it met your expectations. I feel like sometimes it's, you know, what you meet at your first interview or first meeting with your advisor kind of evolves as you keep going through your program, you know, as you hit different obstacles, but yeah, I guess that's good. Yeah, and he he made a comment I remember that when he said you're going to come to a PhD. He says I I he says I like students who are independent. Are mm-hmm. you independent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He asked yeah. me that question. If you're not independent, you know, if I was like wanting him to babysit me right. I, i i never went and asked him a question that i want to do this experiment on this equipment how do i go about doing right. it it was yeah. never mm-hmm. a question because that's a question you don't ask him got it yeah uh, but once you've done the analysis and mm-hmm. you say that uh, and, and and i was always very surprised by his depth of knowledge he read profusely so right. he knew things always yeah Wow. Uh, so very fortunate in that way I learned a lot and in that way also I I enjoyed my independence mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that actually helped me in my faculty career later on because it was independently thinking designing and doing an experiment was all yeah. by myself yeah mm-hmm. wow i guess that was going to be my my big kind of topic switch was is there stuff you wish you did in your phd that is would have been helpful now cuz i mean right now you're also the director of our center and a full-time professor managing a lot of students um yeah. so <laughs> you're an extremely busy person <laughs> yeah so, so 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 i i i i think there are, so one thing which i wish i had done differently is that i was in a very rich cultural environment mm-hmm. uh you know and 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 at rpi you know we have this whole concept by president jackson of the new polytechnic mm-hmm. that you have the arts and the sciences and engineering all come together right though in in london that curriculum wasn't there in the phd mm-hmm. program but it was all around me right mm-hmm. it was everywhere and and the other thing about university of london was that there were nine colleges yeah and they were spread throughout throughout london oh mm. right and they were all sort of connected in a way so it was up to you where you want to go whom you want to talk with right. so it was immensely wide mm-hmm. there was you know um the the you know the multiple hospitals the royal london right. or, mm-hmm. so so you could go to a clinical facility it's right there if you wanted to look at economics the london school of economics yeah. is a part of it mm-hmm. if you want to do arts all there all around you but i almost single headedly focused on my research and in my lab i <laughs> i wish i had done differently sure. and i'd gone to more events and you know got myself more broadly educated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would have helped me more in okay. my current position but in 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 retrospect the one thing which turned out to be which i did not realize 
that the IRC in biomedical materials and the Center for Biotechnology, there are so much parallels among sure, it. Sure, right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I, I find myself, you know, doing or clamoring for similar answers, which my advisor was doing right. during his time. Right. <laughs> and in fact, I saw him two years ago for the first, I, I saw him 25 years after I graduated wow. for the first time. Wow. Um, and, and we met, uh, I, I had gone to King's College to give a lecture and, you know, he had actually come in to listen to the lecture. So that was the oh, first time scary. he, he so listened scary. to me after my PhD defense. Wow. It was 25 years <laughs> oh fast forward, gosh. right? Uh, <laughs> so I was sort of scared to say, <laughs> see what, what he said. But, uh, but then we sat down and had that conversation yeah. about what I do now and the things. And he shared so many things with sure. me, which obviously we didn't talk about as a student. Right. Yeah. And, and I just sort of learned from that environment because mm -hmm. the environment was so intuitive it was all around right and i i've been able to sort of apply a lot of those things which i intuitively learned not intentionally right. just learned right yeah wow. yeah huh. so it's, it's it's strange that cbis have interdisciplinary studies and that right. was interdisciplinarity between the two was all the way through i yeah. should have known mm. right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think I had this uh, similar idea when you mentioned like uh, for interdisciplinary research. I was like, that is a little bit like SEBUS yeah. yeah. from like a name perspective. Yeah, and even like uh, we talk about public-private partnership mm -hmm. these days. He had something which he called Industrial Affiliates Club. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, that's such a... Such a sophisticated name yeah. uh, for that so it, it was a club like yeah. in, in in uk there are a lot of clubs so that right. was the industrial affiliates club wow. <laughs> and and again you had to pay to play so he had this club where people the companies were members of yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and they paid to be there right yeah so. wow huh great idea <laughs> I guess a follow-up. Well, this is Ahmad's question, so I'm not going to steal it. So if you want to oh, ask no, no. about uh, your... <laughs> I think it's it's like more of the uh, what you, like I think, doing as a graduate. Uh, like if you were going to do graduate school now, I think. Because you brought, you brought up a lot of points about the being immersive in a culture. And so in, there are, I think, several elements that are shining to me right now, just as we're talking. Choosing the advisor. Choosing, uh, I think, the kind of the environment that you want to be in, the academic environment. But there's also the third element that's like choosing the, I think the uh, environment that is outside the academic, whether yeah. it's more uh, industry focused, like, uh, indus like uh, in terms of having like sort of all sorts of company, more like a metropolitan area or even having more cultural. Mm -hmm. So how, what do you think the marriage between these three looks like for students who are either applying for next year or even going into the fall? How should they navigate that? So I, I, I think it's, again, a lot of it is, is to a person mm -hmm. because, I mean, all these three factors you highlighted, everybody weighs them differently, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really important that you have to ask yourself the question, what is more important to me out of those three, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And and all three, are obviously, for a, for a good PhD, all three are important, right? But the proportions may vary as so you may decide where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for, for me, cultural experience stopped everything else. So I was very excited to be in UK for my PhD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because certainly, you know, I had come in, uh, you know, there is a story which predates this that my, you know, I came from India to US to study. Mm -hmm. And one of my cousins who 
who also had come here to study had said that you know you travel the world through education mm-hmm. for free <laughs> right <laughs> right so so i had like figured out that i had come to united states to do my masters and then i'm gone to uk to do my phd mm-hmm. and i met my wife and things changed but the pl- original plan was then after that i was going to go to actually africa to do do my postdoc oh, wow. it actually to south africa Mm-hmm. And I had figured out a lab already. He was in biomechanics, so there's a big biomechanics lab there. So I thought I'll go there and be in Africa uh, f- to do my postdoc. Mm-hmm. Right? So I was not mm-hmm. thinking where I'm going to go professionally and get a job and have a life after <laughs> that. So that all would fi- figure itself out. <laughs> But I said for the next 10 years, that was my plan, like, you know, uh, master's, PhD, postdoc, and then, you know, wherever life takes you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 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 for me cultural experience was important and traveling mm-hmm. the world through education was important mm-hmm. right so I think that became dominant for me so so I didn't look for another lab in the United States for example I didn't even apply anywhere else in fact I was going to do the PhD with my advisor mm-hmm. he had given me an option to to continue what I was doing mm-hmm. Uh, but then I was always attracted to go elsewhere, right? So yeah. And he understood that and there was not an issue on that. Um, I did not drop out of a PhD program. I was in a master's program. But mm-hmm. right. after finishing, I didn't go to the PhD one, but I changed my PhD. Program. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, cultural element was important, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you do research, the technical area mm-hmm. and your technical expertise has to be the fundamental basis because that's what drives you yes. uh, to do that. And and essentially, it motivates you to do what you do. So I, I would put that, in for my case, sort of the second part. Mm-hmm. And the third part, which, you know, as I'm getting older, I appreciate more, but as my younger self, which I didn't sort of place the same emphasis to get a very broad education. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that would be the third element but mm-hmm. you know again somebody may choose them differently but mm-hmm. that's how i chose them in that particular order mm. i see and that's i think like a different like an interesting way to put it it's um, like pivoting your career based on something like you said the cultural emergent part of your like traveling the world through education so like a lot of the, a lot of the decisions after that pivoted from that one yeah yeah and I and and there was an interesting RPI student whom I met when I was so this I when I came to RPI I was doing my postdoc at at Henry Ford Mm -hmm. and there was a biomedical engineer who was a graduate of RPI he had done his master's here in BME department at Mm -hmm. RPI Mm -hmm. and and he was the one when RPI advertised for the faculty position he comes and shows me he says apply to this place because <laughs> this is my alma mater like you should go there to be a faculty yeah mm-hmm. so so he did influence me in in applying and and eventually coming here because after mm-hmm. I got for interview we had a lot of talk and and he was wondering where to do his PhD and I tell him you know you should go to Europe to do a PhD <laughs> <laughs> And, and he ended up going to the Netherlands. Okay. Oh, wow. And and the interesting thing is that I am still here at RPI and he's still in Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> That's, wow. What a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually ended up finishing up his PhD in, in, in sleep apnea. Okay. Mm. And then he has opened up his own company in Netherlands and he actually is there now. So we do wow. interact with each other, but he is an RPI grad. So I wow. thank him for this and he always thanks me for... <laughs> for putting him to to in Netherlands and he speaks fluent Dutch at this point and wow. his kids speak wow. Dutch and he lives there. So cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I think like the 
the angle that you're bringing here is that there is a huge cultural component to education and to doing a PhD that's often, uh, I don't want to say neglected, it's just put on a back burner for like a good amount of, I, I want to say like from what I know, like a lot of people tend to flood into the United States for PhDs. Uh, even like as international students think the average international, like the percentage is about 50% nationally. Mm -hmm. And so while that is that is adding, certainly adding to the cultural component of being in the US, there's also like another one of just there, there are so many other opportunities to continue your education, PhD, postdoc, or otherwise that are outside the U.S. as well that could certainly yeah, like I add mean, to I, the... And I mean, in the United States also, like all of you experience, it, it's it's a multicultural society to live in, and, and you have uh, students, fellow students from everywhere in the world, so you mm -hmm. get a chance to interact with them. And, and, and it say was true, true in Europe, though. You know, I, the the dorm I stayed in in London mm -hmm. had uh, other PhD students. Was a, it was not a dorm specific to the science people. Mm -hmm. It was a University of London dorm. So there were people from seventy different countries living <laughs> in that dorm. So in terms of multiculturalism, there were a lot of people from across, right? Yes. But I think one of the things I would challenge you all as PhD student to think that you join in and you start. Mm -hmm. But science is literally without boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you probably read papers from all over the world and yeah. good work is being done yeah. everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. so, so as you get an opportunity to travel during your PhD for international conferences and stuff, you really start forming this family, mm -hmm. which I am so glad, you know, I have colleagues whom I met over the years, not just from UK, but now from, from Norway, from Germany, mm -hmm. from France. And, and, you know, we meet at conferences every year and there is, we go out for dinner or other things together and we exchange things. And, and we always end up talking about bone because that's <laughs> what we work on. But, you know, it, it, it's an interesting way in which they approach the angle, right? And you mm -hmm. really enjoy that part. Mm -hmm. And and in in U.S. with all universities, there is a healthy level of exchange internationally mm -hmm. because we don't exist in isolation. No. And and as a student, you may not realize it, but it gradually opens up with time. And same, it's not just academia. Same in business too. Mm -hmm. So I think at the level you are in, the cultural element comes in. It's it, when you come in and how much you embrace it, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. mm. Do you think, and this this is kind of like merging something we also talked about earlier, just the, I think the independence of you as a graduate student as well, and just that there are similarities across multiple labs here in the U.S. and elsewhere. Do you think your independence as a graduate student played into, um, I think, your openness to travel and like it helped you, it kind of in a way opened up other avenues for you to uh, increase your cultural like immersion in, or even just like learning about other backgrounds and having all these colleagues uh, all over the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it actually, you know, played a huge role. Mm -hmm. And again, as I told you, my advisor said, are you independent? And he made me more independent as I went through. <laughs> and, and and actually, it, it really helped me in all aspects, right? So. So, uh, and, and fortunate to this day, you know, I don't have shortages of ideas to write grants <laughs> on, right? I just like, time is the limitation, mm -hmm. but I, 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 I never wondered that if I establish my lab, what I'm going to work on, what my next grant is going to be on, mm -hmm. because that got embedded in right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
that you have to think of exp every experiment you're doing, you're designing it yourself and doing that. So I think that independence played a huge role mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my professional success um, with, uh, with funding agencies, for example. Mm -hmm. It played an important role in me following collaboration because as a student, I formed independently collaboration. So I always, you know, this was before the email time and before <laughs> we would CC the advisor to let them know <laughs> that you are doing. So you would pick up the phone. We, in those days, the interesting thing was I was allowed to make international phone calls. Hmm. Which is like, you know, it was a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. So I mm -hmm. could call faculty in America sometimes from, from UK and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that because if I had a question sometimes, if I find the phone number, mm -hmm. I, and since I did not, you know, I had to approach it independently, I read a paper with the name of a person and a phone number. I said, oh, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call that person. And, you know, a lot of them, since you're calling from, this is, you know, Deepak from London, you know, so it's, it's important call coming internationally. So I did get through most of the people. And, and again, they were very, very, uh, I think, generous with their time yeah. and suggestions. So I had, you know, good fortune of working with quite a few uh, faculty in U.S. as mm -hmm. well, whom I sort of became my de facto advisor sometimes on the phone. I used to call them, and when I go to a conference, I said, oh, you're coming to the conference. Maybe we'll meet there. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there are we basically connected. So, mm. so that was the independent part. Like it's also played a huge role to form collaborators uh, over the years. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, it's more of like, do you think the atmosphere in academia is changing to uh, in a way that is less open than it was when you were in uh, grad graduate school? I would say it's, uh, you know, in some ways, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, science, uh, we've all are sort of promoting science and and how we respect international boundaries, the IP rules and other things. And I think everybody has to look at that, which has caused some restrictions mm -hmm. in openly sharing. But, I, you know, in the long term, I think I have a lot of hope that these are all temporary phenomena. And, and so... Something that I want to also end with is we talked a lot about independence. How could someone develop that? Some people are naturally or inherently independent. How can you develop that as just part of your PhD education from your perspective? I, I think uh, it starts by asking questions. Yeah. yeah. So you ask questions in all aspects and don't accept the status quo. Mm. And it'll lead you to independence. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a really good kind of final piece of advice to kind of give grad students in general as we kind of end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that's going to wrap us up for episode 15 and season one of the PhD cast. If you're interested or have questions you'd like us to answer, please email us at cbisgpa at rpi.edu or message us on social media via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And with that, we hope you remember to always add acid and that all your differences are significant. See ya.